if you have a Bible, you can turn it to Luke chapter 24. We are Easter people. And Jesus' resurrection is not just one event in time. It changes us. It opens for us and for the cosmos a, a whole new reality. It is a hope and joy and victory that we walk in every day. Because of Jesus' sacrificial death on a cross for us, because Jesus was raised triumphant from his grave, there are some truths that we now know with certainty. We know that Jesus has broken the power of evil. We know that he has forgiven sin, that he has defanged the forces of death. And we know that even now he is making all things new. He's restoring, he's transforming, he's setting right. He's bringing our sin-sick world back to life and wholeness. He's renewing, hurting, flawed, and hopelessly lost people. So in the wake of Easter, we sing with the psalmist in Psalm 56. In God I trust, I shall not be afraid. For you have delivered my soul from death, yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. We echo the prayer in Psalm 16. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to the grave or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So I commend you to again, like Janelle said, take a deep breath. Shake off the cares and the burdens and the anxieties of the weak and rest secure and joyful and at peace because Jesus is alive. Jesus is victorious. Jesus is and charge and at work. Amen. So if you have that Bible, turn to Luke chapter 24. We are going to finish Luke's Easter narrative. We're going to pick up the story today in verse 36. And it's still Easter in Luke's gospel. And so far it's been this busy day for Jesus. Sometime early in the morning between midnight and 6 a.m., the impossible and miraculous has taken place. Jesus is raised physically to life, to life everlasting. He's got this immortal, unending, unquenchable life. The ground quakes and shakes. The stone is rolled back, and Jesus walks out of his borrowed tomb. Women come to anoint his body at dawn, but he's not where they left him. Angels announce that he's alive, that he's risen from the dead. A little later, he meets up with two of his wayward disciples on the road. They are forsaking the cause. They are fleeing for the safety of their homes. And Cleopas and his companion, we talked about last week, they don't recognize Jesus as he opens the scriptures and walks with them through the texts of the Old Testament, illuminating how from the very beginning it was foretold that the Savior must suffer and die and then be raised to new life. They stop for a meal and Jesus 
blesses the food and he breaks the bread and it is in that sharing of that meal that they finally see who it is that has been with them all along. And awestruck, Jesus disappears and the two disciples, they race back to Jerusalem to tell others what they've seen and heard. And it's a three-hour sprint back to the capital and they arrive breathless and they get these reports that Jesus has already shown himself to Peter. And Christ's followers are gathered together as the day draws to a close. They're ecstatic, they're confused, they're processing And then we read in verse 36. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it before them. So what is Jesus doing here? Well, he's upsetting their categories. The disciples, they're disoriented. They are grasping for rational explanations. They're looking for accepted and acceptable reasons to what they are experiencing. But Jesus keeps disrupting their easy answers. Had Jesus simply been resuscitated, revived and brought back from the brink of death, Don't forget, if you've seen Princess Bride, Miracle Max's words, there's a big difference between dead, mostly dead, and all dead. Mostly dead is slightly alive. With all dead, well, with all dead, there's usually only one thing you can do. Go through his clothes and look for loose change. It's a great movie if you haven't seen it. We just showed it to our kids a few months ago, and it was tons of fun. Jesus was all dead, And not only did they go through his pockets, they stripped his corpse bare. They gambled for who got to keep his clothes. And if you remember, even in that movie, Princess Bride, when Wesley is brought back from the brink, he's weak and he's vulnerable. He has to be carried from place to place. Jesus, in contrast, he's robust. He's keeping a vigorous travel schedule a man who cheated death and and survived such brutal torture and a crucifixion would be recovering in an ICU, not teaching, not hosting meals, not popping up here, there, and everywhere. The next logical option for them is that this is a delirious hallucination or some sort of ghostly apparition, A pale shade haunting those who abandoned Jesus in his hour of need. Those who stood by passively and unjustly as he was, stood by passively as he was unjustly executed. But hallucinations are rarely shared and and revenants don't speak peace and disembodied spirits can't be touched and held and embraced. 
So he's not a revived corpse. He's not a hallucination. He's not a ghost. The next possibility is more spiritual and more psychologically compatible to our conceptions of the supernatural. You see, the Romans and the Greeks, they believed in something called apotheosis or or divinization. They believed that their heroes and saints, their, their most gifted leaders and warriors and poets would upon their death be caught up into the pantheon of the divine. They would become gods. They would be adopted into the club of deity for a life well lived. And these two supposedly left behind empty tombs as well as they transcended their humanity because their physical frame was no longer needed. It dematerialized and they now existed as some sort of elevated angelic heavenly being. An existence detached from flesh. Yet Jesus has not transcended his humanity. His humanity has been transformed and glorified. An angel has no need for human food, but the risen Christ, he enjoys a nice plate of broiled tilapia. A newly minted godling would appear idealized, like they were chiseled out of marble. Yet Jesus retains the disfiguring scars of his earthly suffering. And I think it's because the scars are important. Our victory comes through suffering. Jesus' way of peace requires self-sacrifice and a life given for the sake of others. And Jesus On Easter, before the close of the day, he wants to ensure for his people that there are no misconceptions. He needs these men and women to be able to give witness to future generations. Not only that Jesus is alive, but that his resurrected body is the same body that was crucified. Why does this matter? Well, I think it's because Jesus is not engaged in a merely spiritual mission. He's not come to rescue and remove us from the mess of human existence, to carry us off to some kind of floaty spiritual existence in the heavens. He's come to rescue and redeem the mess of human existence, to bring heaven's order and goodness and beauty down to the earth to make all things new. There's another great line from Princess Bride. Death cannot stop true love. All that it can do is delay it for a while. On Easter, Jesus assured us that he was truly alive, that this was real and tangible, that God and Jesus had really taken on our humanity, that in his perfect humanity, he had really given his life for us, And in his victory that our humanity would truly be glorified. You see, we are Easter people. And being Easter people means we have hope for the world. Your body and mine have a future. This world has a future too. We're not flyaway people because Jesus was not divinized. We are make all things new people because Jesus was resurrected. We don't pray, burn it all, and let's go. We pray, redeem it all, let's go. 
In judgment, remember mercy. Continue to save sinners of whom I was the worst. May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are Easter people. And being Easter people means we ought to be the most profoundly hopeful people in the world. Because Jesus has launched creation 2.0. He is at work redeeming everything. He's seeking to redeem everyone who will be rescued by him. Let's keep reading. Verse 44. And he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Jesus is so giving and gracious to us. First, he grants us understanding. Not only does he help us comprehend the scriptures, but he enables us to discern God's grand plan of salvation from beginning to end. You see, we associate the word Savior with power and splendor and triumph. But crucifixion is an ugly word that for us meant weakness and humiliation and defeat. And Jesus illuminates that those two words, Savior and crucifixion, were always meant to dance together. The suffering servant, the self-giving substitute, the one who lays down his life for his enemies was also and always the Messiah we were waiting for. The conquering hero, the world's rightful king, the one who is mighty to rescue and restore. This was always the way because there is no other way for our sins to be dealt with, for us to be reconciled to God, to be brought back to that oasis of his presence. So Jesus grants his disciples understanding. He also clothes them with power. The gospel gives us hope because it gives us the eyes to behold Jesus, but also the power to become like him. We're empowered to find victory through our suffering too, to lay down our lives on behalf of others, to embody God's character, to extend his welcome to exhibit a life under his leadership and authority for a watching world. Jesus cloaks us in his resurrection life. He shares with us God's own spirit so that we might know Jesus intimately and so that people might know Jesus intimately in and through us. We've been hidden in God because of Christ hidden with Christ in God. And because of Christ, God has been hidden in us through the outpouring of his spirit. After Easter, we get understanding. He clothes us with power. Another gift that he gives is that Jesus plants his disciples in community. 
Sure, after his resurrection, Jesus met individually with some folks, with Simon Peter, with Mary Magdalene, with Cleopas and his companion. But here he knits the disparate and scattering group of his followers back together as a supportive spiritual family. They'll need one another in the days to come. And if you remember what we learned last week, they will come to recognize Jesus alive and in powerful ways through their fellowship, their life together. It's in the breaking of bread, it's in the sharing of testimony that they will recognize the risen Christ at work among them. And this community will be vital because at Easter, Jesus also sends his followers into mission. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. We beckon all people to repentance, to this whole life turning to a 180 degree change in direction. Because Jesus, because of Jesus, because of that cross, because of that empty tomb, we can have a fresh start. Your sins can be forgiven. Your guilt and your shame can be washed away and all the penalties dealt with. You can be born again. A new creation. The old you is done away with and a new you, the new you were created to be, is brought into existence. And that new you is being shaped and forged and molded into the image of Jesus. And he will use you, he will use us to be his agents of healing and blessing and hope in the world. We get to give witness to who he is and what he's done so that more and more people will find life and love belonging and purpose, a future and a hope in his name. This is the gospel. We were designed for good, but we were damaged by evil. Jesus came to restore us for better. For better. Now he sends us together to heal, to be his agents of blessing, and one day he will come back to set all things right, to make all things new. And being Easter people means having hope for this mission. That it is not futile. It is what he is up to. It is what we get to partake in. To see lives transformed, communities renewed, and the world changed. And as we finish Luke chapter 24, Jesus also leaves us with his blessing, having already promised us his presence. We read this. And he led them as far out as Bethany. And lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising God, blessing God. I'm particularly struck by the disciples' emotional journey in this passage. When Jesus shows up, he identifies that they're troubled, that they're in need of peace, that they have doubts arising in their hearts. And he shows up, and they're still, they're startled and frightened. They think they've seen a ghost. 
He draws near. He shows them evidence of his resurrection, that it's truly him, that this is all real. And it says they disbelieved for joy and marvel. I think, how can this be anything other than fantasy, than wish fulfillment, happy thoughts for unhappy days? But then they end the Easter experience with worship. His beloved friends, his committed followers, with joy, they return to Jerusalem. They embrace the mission he's given them. They continually bless God and they rest there in the oasis of his presence. And it helps me see this journey that we make as Easter people. We're Easter people, so that means that God has given us hope and joy and peace for today. We live these lives of of just buoyant, jubilant faith, and we have even greater expectations for tomorrow. They're equipped to suffer because they know it leads to glory. They're eager to be Jesus' witnesses in what was, remember, a pagan, violent, and confused culture because they knew that God could redeem and transform, that nothing could shake them, not the loss of a job, not the rejection of a friend, not the rise of a hostile Caesar, because Jesus had already overcome the worst, and new creation was here. See, I have this theory. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I think we've done a good job with the first part of that, with clinging to the truth that Jesus has taught us. We proclaim with boldness the cross and the empty tomb, the reality of our sin and our need for a Savior. We've upheld the authority of God's word, and we've embraced the truth of God's grace. He is the truth. Amen. But Jesus is also the way. And I think we're in the process of relearning Jesus' way of self-giving love. We got a little wonky, a little hijacked during pandemic and the rise of social media and our country's kind of divisive political climate and and exposed for us the distance between our natural character and the character of Christ, between our natural lifestyle and his. And we're, we're discovering again his lifestyle of kindness and welcome, his opposition to evil, but his winsomeness towards sinners. We're being trained again. What does it mean to love those who oppose us, to judge not, to give ourselves sacrificially to others? We're figuring this one out. Jesus is the way. May we learn from him. But it's that third piece that sometimes in the wake of Easter, I wonder if we've lost track of. Are we experiencing Jesus as life? Are we experiencing his abundant, hopeful, victorious life? Do we live as Easter people? I said that Christians should be the most profoundly hopeful people in the world. And I'm not talking about positive thinking. I'm not talking about some Pollyannish belief that, you know, the world we really want, the culture we really want is whatever, one election away or one, you know, way to organize my time. I will get there. We'll get there. This is not 
positive thinking. This is not us trying to, to shape the world in our image. But there is some deep, profound hope and victory and joy because we live on this side of the resurrection. We should skip through life joyful and singing, confident and buoyant and, what's that word, indefatigable, like tireless. I think of Paul and Silas who get to share their faith and they get thrown in prison. And what do we see them doing? Singing. And then God shows up and prison doors come falling down. And what do they do next? They don't run for safety. They share the gospel with their prison guard, right? That should be us as Easter people. Jesus is alive and at work. No one is too far for him to save. No obstacle is too great for him to overcome. Nothing is beyond redemption. Death, even our death, will not have the final word. And I'm not saying that this Easter living is easy, that it's not without its challenges, but nothing is too big for Jesus. Right now, he rules at the right hand of God. Right now, he will come again soon to make all things right and new. Yeah, amen. So why do we too often look like the disciples at the beginning of Easter, troubled and in need of peace with doubt arising in our hearts, frightened, startled, haunted by by shades and specters, marveling at God, but still disbelieving. Jesus came that we might have life and have it abundantly. He came that we might worship him with joy and embrace this beautiful mission that he's given us, that we would be continually together and in his presence, blessing God through all our days. Because Jesus is now at work saving sinners. He's at now, right now, at work setting things right, making all things new. There is hope for the world. There's hope for this mission that he's given us. Hope and joy and peace for today and even greater things for tomorrow. The image that came to mind as I was sitting with this was uh, this. Eeyore and Tigger, if you guys know, uh, wow, A.A. Milne, why can't I think of Winnie the Pooh? Too often, we go through life as Eeyores. We should be Tiggers on this side of the resurrection. You don't have to be that annoying, but you could have a little jump in your step, right? Because nothing should be able to phase us. Man, I got bad test results. Boing, boing, boing. That's okay. He conquered death. He will use this for his glory. He'll meet you in your suffering. He has the power to heal. And even if it's not his will, that's okay. Death doesn't have the final word. I tried to share my hope with someone and they shut me down. Ah, it's okay. Jesus loved us even when we were his enemies. No one's too far for him. He is that loving father that's pursuing each and every soul. I lost my job. It's okay. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He's proven himself faithful. Why? Why do we walk through life like this? 
Remember, we are Easter people. No more Eeyore. It's time for us to Tigger. So I want to close us in prayer, and then we're going to sing a song to close our worship. But I have a biblical blessing for us. But let's pray to the Lord as we, we listen to his word from Luke. God, I am grateful for your patience with us, your people. You gave yourself a very full day that Easter. You met people where they were at. You pursued them when they were fleeing. You brought clarity in their confusion, God. But what I love is you healed your people, mind, body, and soul. Too often our emotions get the best of us. Our circumstances oppress us. But we forget that you are victorious. We forget that the victory is already won. God, and we ask your forgiveness. We repent from being Eeyores. I repent from being an Eeyore God. Give us that lighthearted joy, that levity, that confidence even in the midst of suffering, not because life is peaches and rainbows, but because you are good and at work. And you will rescue and save. The end of the story is peaches and rainbows. It's garden paradises, renewed cities, healing, the end of our pain, the end of our mourning. May we live as victorious people today because you sit right now at the right hand of your Father interceding for us because your very Spirit is with us to give us strength to give us power, to give us the ability to share you and to represent you even in our weakness. May we hear this word to be Easter people and may we respond in Jesus' name, amen. And then Ryan, if you could go to that last slide one more time. We're gonna send you out with this song, but I wanted to send you out with a benediction. And I took Eeyore out of the picture because he's out of the picture now. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. So let us abound in hope as we sing and then bounce on out of here in the hope and joy of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen.